Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. And guess what? You don't have to die at the hands of a shape-shifting clown to join. No, all you have to do is tune in every Friday as us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. Each week, we'll either spend hours reading between the pages of one of his books or chew on his latest tweets and Hollywood headlines. What's more, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Mick Garris, Jerry O'Connell, Mary Lambert, Will Wheaton, and the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. Discography is brought to you by Reverb LP, a marketplace for used and new music. Vinyl, CDs, tapes, even reel-to-reel. With buyer protection and impeccable selection, if you're looking to complete your discography, there's no better place. Shop for music on the go with the Reverb LP app, available on Android and iOS, or find them online at lp.reverb.com. Hi everyone, Mark with a C here, host of Discography. Just popping in before we begin today's show to let you know, These shows were finalized in September and October of 2018. And of course, since then, we've seen that Pete Townsend has ended his sabbatical by announcing a new Who tour and a new Who album for 2019. We had no idea that those things were in the works while producing the show, of course, and we couldn't mention it because, well, the future simply hadn't happened yet. But we thank you for tuning in, and without any further ado, please enjoy this episode of Discography on CPN. Hello and welcome to Discography. I'm your host, Mark with a C. I'm not only a lifelong record geek and not only the host of this show on the Consequence Podcast Network, but I've also been releasing lo-fi pop records independently for nearly 20 years now. Discography is a show where we look at a great artist through the lens of only their canonical albums of first release material to see who the music says that they really are and how it all stacks up. Discography aims to educate and inform those listeners who really want to know. All opinions are that of the person that said them, because everything is subjective. Discography can also be a pretty personal journey for me, which you should know up front. Let's get on with the show. And here we are, we're back. Well, we're pretty much done with the story of The Who. I mean, as much as we can be. I can't possibly tell you everything. And even if I could, well, what would be left for you to discover, right? That wouldn't be very much fun, but one thing that we absolutely could not do a season of discography on The Who without doing is taking some time to talk about the incredibly varied issues of their major releases and their compilations. Now, this isn't going to be complete by any stretch of the imagination, and I ask... Actually, I beg of you that you don't take anything that I'm saying as gospel, because really, you should be trusting your own ears. However, these albums have been reissued so many times in so many different formations that I feel like I should at least touch on it a little bit, just in case somehow you made it through our first seven episodes and you didn't think, oh my god, what a maddening discography, wow, what an impossible group to collect, right? Just in case you didn't feel that way. I'm going to talk about them now, 
See, it's not as simple right now. Let's, let's assume you've never owned a Who record. And you listen to everything that I just said in all of these episodes, and you went, I don't know, um, a quick one. That sounds like a fun record. I want to go get that. Well, then when you go to the record store, if you just want to buy the simple 10-track version that I talked about, you're going to go, well, this one has bonus tracks, but this one, it, right. So how do you do it? I don't know how you do it. I'm just going to try to tell you a little bit about what's out there. It can be good. It can be bad. But it's really just kind of a slog. So one of the first things I've got to get out of the way here is that to hear the words, the Who are releasing a new compilation is a lot like saying the sun will probably rise tomorrow. There's a ton of them. I can't tell you which is the best or which is the worst, but I will tell you a little bit about some preferences I've got. Listen, if you just want kind of a cross-section of the early 60s pop who, they're not wrong. The Meaty Beaty Big and Bouncy compilation is pretty fantastic, assuming that you can find it. It goes in and out of print. Now, my personal pick for if you need a Who compilation on the go that's pretty much got all of the major bases covered, I think very, very highly of the double CD version of The Who Hits 50. Not only do you get pretty much all of the A-sides and pretty much all of the songs that you know from FM radio, really the only thing that I think is a major, really well-known Who song that's not on it is the track Long Live Rock. And I'm sure that your mileage may vary, but of course you also get their Real Good Looking Boy, Be Lucky. It really covers a lot of bases in just two discs. If you want a little bit more, the uh, 30 years of maximum R&B box set. This one gives you just as much, except there are some kind of strange choices made with how they compiled it and some of the tracks crossfade against each other. And these are remixes, so they aren't necessarily the original versions, right? But now I'm just getting far ahead of myself. I've already said the Who Hits 50 is probably about as cool of a compilation as you're going to stumble upon. That is the double disc version because maddeningly, there's also a single disc version. And oh God, this is, you know what? Just take my word for it. There's a bunch of Who compilations. They're real weird. Let's talk about some of the actual albums and the variations over the years. <laughs> The Who's catalog had been on CD by the 90s, but not everybody was thrilled with the original, say, MCA pressings of these things. They were taken out of print and eventually reissued each record with tons of bonus tracks, and where applicable, if they could find the multi-tracks, they would completely remix these songs from the ground up. So one would assume that they started this series with their first album, My Generation. And if you made that assumption, you'd be dead wrong. See, the original producer of that record, Shell Talmy, he and The Who and their management at the time, massive disagreement. We covered this very early on, but it was a grudge that was held for years. And eventually Shell would have tried to offload the My Generation multi-tracks on eBay. 
That happened around 2000, but by 2002, something had been worked out to put my generation back in print in an expanded deluxe edition. Up until this point, pretty much every pressing of my generation had either been taken from a safety copy, it was either released in mono, had never been mixed into stereo, or if there was something that seemed like stereo, it was basically like a duophonic sound. It was fake stereo, kind of like, you remember how those US pressings of the Beatles records were before Sgt. Pep? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about. So, of course, Who fans were very, very excited at the prospect of the 2002 issue of My Generation. Unfortunately, I hate to be the bearer of bad news on this one, the 2002 version, well, yeah, you look at the track list and you're like, oh man, it's like twice as much material and there's all these songs and alternate takes and yes, that is the case. But what you're getting really is a very different insight to the record. Now, I'm sorry in advance if I start talking tech talk here. When they recorded My Generation, multi-track recording just is not what it is today. When you wanted to overdub a bunch of stuff, you had to do what was known as submixing, and this meant that if something was on that tape at a certain volume, it just stayed there forever, and you could just sort of put stuff on top of it. So when they wanted to mix it for stereo, they really didn't have a lot of opportunities. My Generation, the album, has a lot of double-tracked vocals by Roger Daltrey, a lot of overdubbed guitars by Pete Townsend to thicken things up. On the stereo remix from 2002, these things are just flat-out mixing because, to my knowledge, they were dubbed directly onto the mono master. So that 2002 version, not only is it missing double-tracked vocals from, say, La La Lies or portions of The Kids Are Alright, remember that symbiotic relationship between John's bass solo and Pete playing some lead licks in the title track, My Generation? Well, Pete's lead licks are just gone. This doesn't mean it's not enjoyable or even interesting, but it ain't the straight-up original My Generation. It's not even close. Now, I'm going to tell you something that you're going to hear me repeat quite often. I'm going to sound like a broken record about it, and I'm totally okay with that. In 2014, nearly all of the major Who albums were reissued through HD Tracks. It's a website where you can get, well, exactly what it sounds like. 2496, full fidelity, high def, big bit rate supposedly completely, uh, as completely lossless as the labels will give it to you music. And this means that it unfortunately only exists in a digital realm, but let's face it, nowadays, if we even get CDs, we're mostly ripping them, putting them on our phones, putting them on our computers, those kinds of things. Not everybody's grabbing those CDs anymore, so the 2014 HD Tracks version. The mono version? Pretty neat. But when it came time to do the stereo mix, oh, okay, listen up. They knew that some of that stuff was missing, and they knew that people would miss it. So instead of just letting it be as it was, just bits of songs that are missing all willy-nilly, this time, The Who, and by The Who I mean Pete and Roger, 
they overdubbed them. They overdubbed the parts. So we're talking, at times, there's going to be a 2014 Roger trying to sing with a 1965 Roger. And actually, they cover their tracks pretty well on it, but there's points where you're listening to Pete's lead licks, and there's just no question that this is a brand new overdub. I'm going to give you a quick A-B of what I'm talking about for this stereo mix of my generation. So here's a little bit of what, for example, the bass solo versus guitar middle of the title track, My Generation, sounds like on the 2014 mono edition from HD Tracks. probably pretty much the way you either one expect it to or to remember it. Now here's what the 2014 stereo edition sounds like. idea of what I mean like if you really know this album the stereo mix and these new overdubs are pretty egregious hard to miss doesn't make it bad it is again just a totally different view into what the album my generation is and can be and I guess it's really up to the who if they want to do it this way because they did continue to keep the mono version in print this means they didn't take anything away. That's really nice of them. But one of the real incentives to pick one of these up rather than just one of the old MCA discs is that, for example, you get a lot of bonus tracks. Nearly everything from the sessions appears on one of these, either the mono or the stereo. Plus, since the 2002 edition, we've been getting the completely unreleased song Instant Party Mixture which is kind of a fun pastiche of, you know, like the old it's mashed potato time type dances, except for that trademark tongue-in-cheek who humor that was so ever-present back in those days. But if you really want to go out and you want every possible view into the album My Generation, around 2016 they released a super deluxe version of the album. It comes with the mono mix. It comes with this new fangled stereo deedly bob. It comes with all the songs from the sessions. But importantly, possibly most importantly, it comes with what's known as a primal scoop of Pete's demos for the album. And these are such a cool window into the difference between what the song might have sounded like in Pete's head versus what the band actually did with it. So it's got like a Johnny Cash and the Tennessee 2 thing going on, and you never would have known that unless you'd heard the original and then way down the line, we got this view into Pete's initial demos. And I especially happen to find his early demos really fascinating because these things are so unbelievably well produced. For home demos, 
from like 1964, if you compare these to say any vanity record that came out around that time, it's night and day. Pete was already kind of a sound genius. Now it's equally controversial to try to talk about and decide on a definitive version of The Who's second album, A Quick One, because again, the track list was a little bit different based on what territory you were in, and when they tried to reissue it in the 90s, a remixed version, some of them, well, they just didn't include what they purported to include. As a matter of fact, it's such a tangled web, I don't even know how to begin talking about it. So I'm merely going to tell you that one of the greatest benefits of picking up the Quick One 90s CD is that you end up getting pretty much the entire Ready Steady Who EP as well. So you're really getting two releases for the price of one there. Otherwise, you're mostly getting, you know, some B-sides and non-album singles from the era, but that's one of those proceed with caution things. However, they did the same thing in 2014 on HD tracks. You get a mono version and you get a stereo version, but I have seen chatter where folks have tried to put together either a completely full true dedicated mono mix or a dedicated stereo mix, and they've had to source copies from all over the world just to even get close to it. And I think that it's something that's possible to do, but it's like you gotta be married, married to making your DIY version of a quick one. And I'm afraid to say much more. So let's just go ahead and move on to the first remix that I think is especially cool, The Who Sellout. So first, one thing I want to make absolutely clear here is that when The Who remixed these albums in the 90s, they did not leave the originals in print. So whichever copy you happen to pick off the shelf, most times was a remix. Now there might be a sticker on it, there might not. The average fan looks at the back cover and goes, oh my god, look at all these bonus tracks we throw it in the cart. It's only upon really paying attention where you go, you know, this isn't quite what I write. So you get it. So that said, the Who Sellouts remix, if you bought it in the 90s, there's a good chance that the remix is the one you think is actually the original. Kind of weird, huh? And that's just sort of a window into how maddening this can actually be. But the Who Sellouts mix differences, oh, they go back as far as the album does. Of course, in 1967, you could choose. Do you want to buy the stereo mix or do you want to buy the mono mix? Now, as I mentioned before, I personally prefer the mono mix. There's no real rhyme or reason to why. I just do. I like the oomph. I like the kind of, um, you know, sometimes the tape speeds are a little bit warped or something because that to me seems like how pirate radio would have actually sounded. The stereo mix, though, is quite the psychedelic masterpiece. I got no problems with it. There's not even a point where I'm listening to pretty much any mix of The Who Sellout and feeling bad about it. I always think it's a good time to listen to The Who Sellout, personally. The first real reimagining of it came around 1996. And to be honest with you, I think The Who Sellout was the first remix that I actually heard. You might be wondering, hey, why remix these albums at all? The argument that I'd always heard was for clarity, because, well, it was often joked that sometimes the Who's bootlegs actually sounded better than the records themselves, and this no doubt had a lot to do with the fact that Kit Lambert wasn't always 
you know, the most well-versed producer. So John Astley and Andy McPherson in the 90s took to these records to try to make them sound as clear as they possibly could. My opinion was that though these were neat alternatives, the original mixes are what took the world by storm and those are the ones that were so important and powerful. They're neat as a diversion, but when you want the real shit, you need the real shit. That's just my opinion. However, clarity for sellout actually ends up working really well because it just enhances the psychedelic aspect over the pirate radio aspect. And we that no has a face like a carrot farm. So don't get scared about the word remix. I'm not talking about like throwing a bunch of hip hop loops behind it, bunch of scratching over the top. No, it's not that kind of remix. They really tried to be, I think, as respectful to the source material as they could. So let's go through at least a few of these and talk about what some of them have to offer. Now the 1996 one, the one that's actually completely remixed, like I said, it comes with about 30 minutes worth of material that was previously unreleased. And actually, if you think about vinyl constraints of the time, that actually extends it to basically a double album. And since it gives you a few more commercials and things, it actually ends up playing through like a full-on pirate radio broadcast that doesn't really lose its concept halfway through side two. Some of the really cool bonus tracks that you get here are Early Morning Cold Taxi. You get Jaguar, which I'm sure somewhere Keith Moon is very, very happy. Ditto for the song Girl's Eyes. You get a totally different version of Marianne with a shaky hand that I'm pretty sure might have been earmarked for a single at some point. Plus, there's a full band version of Melancholia. Now, there's also a super deluxe edition of this where what they did was you got on one disc the stereo mix plus some bonus tracks. Second disc, mono mix, some bonus tracks. Very cool, except it doesn't have all the bonus tracks from the initial 1996 issue. So that means that you're like, oh, well, I, I've got to get it for this reason. But even if you just get that super deluxe, oh, you're still missing what Melancholia and freaking Glow Girl. Not as if freaking Glow Girl's important at all to the Who's chronology. I'm getting way too angry about this. But one thing that you get that I think is just absolutely one of the most important parts of the saga is actually a re-recorded version of the song Rael. See, remember that the band recorded the song Rael and then a hapless janitor accidentally threw out the tape and they basically had to rebuild it from a safety copy? Well, the band actually did try to re-record the thing all over again. They just felt that they couldn't recapture the same excitement and fire. And you actually get to hear that attempt on that deluxe edition, that super deluxe edition. Now, Captain, listen to my Return to this on Christmas Day. Now, of course, that super deluxe reissue does not have the remix. You've got to buy the remix on its own to get the remix. But if you want the original mixes, that super deluxe edition does offer up pretty much all you could want, almost all you could want for sellout, other than the fact that the mastering, I've been told, is absolutely dreadful, but that's a whole different topic, and there are people 
far, far more learned about the mastering issues with the Who's recorded output than myself. I will leave that for them to talk about. I just think it's proper, and if you've ever seen a debate about this kind of thing, you will understand why I am politely stepping back and saying, nope, y'all take care of this one for me. When I need to reach for the Who sell out digitally, most often these days I'm reaching for that 2014 HD tracks version because right there they gave it to you in mono or stereo. You have to choose and you don't get nearly as many bonus tracks, but it's my preferred way to hear it digitally. Unfortunately, there's not currently as of this taping at least, a mono version that's available that you can buy physically that's in print. And again, this taping is being done in October of 2018. Though as I have a vantage point here, just a bit of one, I'm pretty sure something is coming down the pike very soon. Probably we'll know more by the time this is actually airing that something's happening with the 60s Who material. There have been a lot of reissues lately, a lot of archival vault things showing up. I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to do something with Sellout because, again, they just did something with My Generation right around its anniversary. I don't have reason to believe that Sellout will be different, but that does not mean that I actually know anything because I don't. I don't know anything, and you know what, let's just move on. I do want to talk about the very first compilation that The Who chose for themselves. It was something called Direct Hits, and it's a really strange little bugger, but it's also indicative of just how weird Who compilations can be. And often one of the weirdest things was because they didn't have the rights to always use the Shell Tommy material you know, like stuff like I can't explain, anyway, anyhow, anywhere, my generation, the kids are all right. So by 1968, when The Who is putting out a compilation, none of those songs are on it. So it's like a greatest hits album, but instead it has stuff like In the City, which was the B-side to I'm a Boy. Or it'll have Doctor Doctor, another B-side. It'll have their cover of The Last Time by the Rolling Stones. The reason I bring this up, though, is because, okay, I can see for miles, this is a genius song. We know it's a genius song. We all love this genius song. Every version that gets reissued, no matter which album it's on, is never the single mix. And this is such minutia here, I almost kinda can't believe I'm going through it, but we're gonna do it. So, direct hits, is the only legit place that I know of that you can get the single mix of I Can See For Miles. At least on CD, and it's like a Japanese version from 2007. So I'm going to show you the differences between the single version, then the version that is often confused to be the single version, and then what it actually sounds like when you buy the regular old stereo mix of the Who sellout. So first up, here is the incredibly just ballsy single mix. Okay, so you heard how the bass guitar kind of came in there and was like, oh damn, John has arrived. Well, often people think that the version that they used for the BBC recordings, that that was the single mix because it also has overdubbed bass. 
but okay, like I said, this is kind of nitpicky, but it's also really important if you love the single mix. There's a totally different overdubbed bass guitar that's just kind of egregious on the BBC version. Here's what that sounds like. And finally, here's the everyday version that you would find on pretty much any Who compilation at all. that gives you a little bit of insight into just how egregious these mix differences can really be. Now I personally prefer the very first one, but it's even more frustrating that that mono single mix is not actually on the mono version of the Who sellout, it's a whole thing, you gotta get this compilation called Direct Hits if you want it. Uh, and it's just not gonna get less confusing from here folks. So you know, of course, if they've done this many versions of those albums that I mentioned, then of course Tommy, woo, Tommy has had its fair share of versions. Now I'm going to only focus on the ones that The Who did. I'm not talking about Ken Russell's soundtrack for Tommy. I'm not talking about the Lou Reisner London Symphony Orchestra version from 72. I'm not talking about the Broadway edition. I'm talking about the one that is from top to bottom, The Who's Tommy from 1969. Now, personally, I got no beef with the original 1969 mix of Tommy, and frankly, that's the one that I reach for most often. But yeah, there's definitely a number of versions, and you're gonna have to traverse them if you want to pick out the Tommy that's right for you. So. You know, initially you got this MCA version of it in 1984, two-disc set. Around 1990, MFSL, which is Mobile Fidelity Sound Lab, they're kind of an audiophile label, they did a special version of the album that had a completely different vocal on the song, Eyesight to the Blind. Instead of Roger singing, you talk about your woman, instead he sang it kind of lower, like, talk about your woman. There's a couple of other little differences. There is a remixed version, however, from 1996. And this one unearths a ton of stuff that you never heard before. Like there was even French horn buried in the song Sparks that I'd never noticed before. And that was pretty cool, right? 2003 saw this kind of all things to all people mix where you know, and I haven't played disc one for a long time, so unfortunately I can't confirm or deny whether or not that uses the remix or the original mix. But why this two disc version is very interesting is it's also a super audio CD where you can play it as a 5.1 multi-channel mix. And I really dig the 5.1 mix. How this one seems to act, and unfortunately there's just really no way I can show you what I mean here. A lot of the action does take place in your front speakers. It's more as Tommy loses his senses and the Who's vibes take over, those vibes sort of come in, in from behind you in those rear channels, and I think it's a really neat different view into an already nearly perfect album. That 2003 version, Pete Townsend 
was uh, there for the remastering like every step of the way, but you get a ton of bonus tracks and these bonus tracks, I mean, these are different takes of Tommy material, so if you're listening to this, there's no reason you're not already interested, but you even get songs that did not make it to the album, like Cousin Kevin Model Child. You get the B-side to Pinball Wizard, which is Dogs Part 2, just an instrumental with the group literally barking, and uh, Trying to Get Through, which I'm not sure where it would have gone in the story, but it's a pretty cooking rocker. was first mixed, none of the members of The Who actually got to approve the mix itself. So Roger was a little bit weirded out by why his voice had been treated so dryly and why it was pushed so far up in the mix. And of course, Pete really wanted a lot more electric guitar on the record than you hear. Trying to get through, to me, sounds a lot like maybe the tones that Pete had hoped for for the album in the first place. But it's all just speculation, and frankly, anything done to the record to make it sound more like what we think the original vision might be would just be revisionist history. But if you're wondering, hey, Mark, did uh, Tommy get a Super Deluxe reissue? Oh man, did it. It came out in 2013, three discs, Blu-ray. Okay, so you got the original album, you got a bunch of demos, pretty much all of Pete's demos for the record. Uh, for John's songs, you didn't so much get demos as you got less mixed versions of Fiddle About and Cousin Kevin. And then, this one was kind of weird. You got a live show mostly recorded in Ontario. Back in 1969, and I guess it was one of the tapes that was supposedly destroyed in that giant bonfire, right? That famous bonfire? Huh? Huh? But they didn't have all of the show. So for the songs that they were missing, they literally plugged in, well, recordings from like 1976. So you went from hearing the band really excited to all of a sudden, here's a group that's kind of sick of it and rushing through the songs. It didn't work out so well. I mean, really, that live disc was kind of botched from the get-go, and it does sound a little bit mid-rangey, but let's face it, any excuse to release more live Who material is a good excuse. And hey, let's face it, getting to hear Pete's embryonic demos of what would eventually become a worldwide sensation, pun intended, that ain't no slouch either. Now, on a totally different note, Live at Leeds, when I covered that, you might be wondering, hey Mark, why did you only cover the six-song version? This thing's been released a multitude of ways. The reason is, is because that original six-song version, the one with Young Man Blues, Substitute, Shaken All Over, Summertime Blues, My Generation, Magic Bus, that's the version that took the world by storm. That's the one that turned everybody's head all the way around, Exorcist style, right? I felt that was good enough. But since then, actually since 1995, there's been a multitude of ways to pick up Live at Leeds. 
So if you'll remember, when I was showing off some samples from Live at Leeds, there were quite a bit of crackles. To the uninitiated, let's just assume you've never heard Live at Leeds before, that was inherent on every single copy due to a faulty wire. It was literally written on the label, crackling noises, okay, do not correct. But in 1995, we got a slightly expanded Live Edition. What this one was, was not only did they correct the crackling noises, but they gave you every song from the show. Well, every non-Tommy song from the show. You only got one tune actually from the Tommy portion, which was Amazing Journey and its counterpart, Sparks. Pete's reason for this was he was just, quote, Tommied out. But one thing you should know about this is that it's also overdubbed. That's right, you had 1995 era vocals from Roger Daltrey and John Entwistle placed in places where they just didn't like their original performances. That said, many people really prefer that 1995 version, and it's no slouch. It's really cool, and frankly, if you didn't know that there were overdubs, you could just appreciate it on its own terms. And you certainly couldn't fault it for its track list. I mean, let's face it, this thing pretty much contains the definitive version of the song Heaven and Hell. Hearing Happy Jack live, that song just... Oh, it blows the roof off the place every single time, especially in comparison to its original studio counterpart. In 2001, after many people said, Hey, look, Pete, I don't care how sick of Tommy you are. Can you give us the whole show or what? Well, they did that, but then they moved the whole show out of order. So Tommy, the whole Tommy portion, was stuck on disc two. I don't actually have this at my disposal, but... Something went really, really screwy with the mastering on this one, and it's pretty infamous for just how poor the thing sounds. And of course, you got a Super Deluxe Edition box set around 2010. Their bonus items were the show from the next night at the University of Hull, and you got like a replica 7-inch single of Summertime Blues with the studio version of Heaven and Hell on the B-side. But you know what I'm going to say here the way to hear Live at Leeds. If you want more than that six-song version, the 2014 edition from HD Tracks is about as close as you're going to get. It, this one's also available on iTunes. First, it restores most of the between-song banter. Secondly, all the songs are in the correct order, so you actually can follow it like a concert. And, uh, frankly, it's... um. It's about the best fidelity I've heard from it. There are some, shall we say, black market releases where you can hear the show completely unedited, exactly as it was captured, but this is probably the best one we've got at our disposal. They even liked this one enough to put it on vinyl for a very short period of time in 2016. I was lucky enough to grab one, and whew, since I've seen the resale prices, man, I hope they decide to do a second pressing of this for your sake. Now, as I've said, The Who released compilation after compilation after compilation, but I think one of the most interesting ones is called The Ox. And literally, all this thing is, and I mean, it's like they made this thing for the most hardcore of the hardcore Who fans. Came out in 1970 initially in the Netherlands. It's 13 songs, 
And it's not the best of the Who, right? It doesn't even pretend to be. It's just called The Ox, and it's only the songs that John Entwistle wrote and mostly sang for the band. It's super specific, but it's actually a really, really fun listen, I've got to say. There's nothing necessarily rare or, you know, completists gotta have it for this one mix of a song that I know of, because I don't actually have it, but just looking at the track list, it just looks like so much fun. I mean, how can anything that opens with the Who Sellouts commercial for Heinz Baked Beans not be a complete and total blast to listen to? You're probably bracing yourself going, oh god, Mark, how many times did they reissue Who's Next? Not as many as you'd think, and I'm a little bit wary of saying that because that means that the second this goes live, they will have already announced plans for some super bitch and primo deluxe, like who's next box that comes with like a fucking grappling hook or something. But really, besides the original nine song version, there's pretty much two things that they did. One was the 1995 CD issue, which was somewhat remixed even though like the multi-tracks to bargain and I think the song is over I think those are missing so they couldn't really remix it plus they didn't want to do too much to it because they knew this thing was kind of a sacred cow however you did get some great bonus tracks like baby don't you do it water naked eye too much of anything right songs that might have made it to lifehouse but if you're gonna get a deluxe edition of who's next the 2003 version is pretty much the only game in town. What it offers you is the original mix of Who's Next, but also all of the songs that were attempted and begun at the record plant in New York when it was still going to be Lifehouse, the ones done by The Who, of course. But the second disc, this is really cool. Remember how I told you that they did try rehearsing the Lifehouse shows? at the Young Vic in like 1970, you get almost an entire gig. remarked about the gig that he just hears the band mostly trying to learn the songs and I'm going well duh it was a rehearsal gig we know but it's still the closest thing we've got to an entire who's next era show that's officially available so I say if you happen to be at HD tracks and you happen to be looking for a version of who's next the one with the entire or not the entire but very close to the entire young Vic show that's the one. But hey, I'm talking about HD tracks so much that you might be sitting there going, Mark, are they paying you to do this? And no, they're absolutely not. I have to pay for those releases just like you do. So let's just go ahead and move on to some links that matter real quick. While we're here, while we got a moment. A quick reminder that if you'd like to tell everybody about us, we would be thrilled if you did so. If not, you can always rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. Your reviews, they give us life. They keep our hearts pumping. If you want to hook up with me directly, facebook.com slash Music. Discography on Facebook is facebook.com slash discography on CPN. If you want to hook up with me on Twitter, I'm at Mark Fi. That's M-A-R-C-F-I. If you want to check out my music, 
markwithac.bandcamp.com. If you click on Get Tangible Stuff, you can buy records, tapes, CDs, or you can just stream the tunes. If you want to just stream the tunes, head over to Spotify, Google Play, Apple Music. They've all got my stuff pretty much everywhere that streams digital music. Mark with a C music is also there. And patreon.com slash mark with a C. That helps me make my future creations. Because, you know, podcasting and playing pop songs doesn't pay all the bills, but it helps me make more stuff for you. That's pretty much it. I'm not going to go on and on about links. We've already done these quite a few times in this season. It's just one of those things you gotta do. But I do gotta tell you that our background music is usually either done by Jordan McKenna or Chris Abriski. Check them out at chrisabriski.com or Jordan McKenna you can find on SoundCloud. Just type in Jordan McKenna. You're sure to run into his page. Lots of cool jams for all your needs. Let's get back to the show. Hey, this is Cap, CPN Network Director. Mark and I bond over a lot of things, but most of all, music. We both obsess over it together and dive deep into nuanced collections of rare records to get that bigger picture. You probably know how it is. One day you realize that a bunch of your favorite records all have the same producer or session musician, and the next thing you know, you're on a wild goose chase for rare records hunting down more of those sweet sounds. Or say there's a band you love, like The Who, with an expansive catalog, different mixes of the same track, critical bootlegs. That's why I'm so excited that this season of Discography is sponsored by Reverb LP. You might know Reverb as an incredible music gear resale marketplace. Well, Reverb LP is their marketplace for used and new music. Buy records, sell your records so you can have money to buy other records. They have an impeccable selection which you can scope out online or, even better, via their app, which is available on Android and iOS. In fact, if you're looking to start your Who collection or fill in some gaps, we've got a virtual bin for you to flip through. Just go to lp.reverb.com cos, and you'll see all the records discussed in this season. Reverb LP offers buyer protection, so you won't ever have to worry about a bum deal. And say you're hunting down an unofficial release, rare tracks, bootlegs, you'll find them here. As far as I'm concerned, and this is me speaking like 100% personally, Reverb LP is the marketplace for record collectors. Download the app, scope out the store, or browse this season's discography at lp.reverb.com cos. Now, back to Mark. I can't really explain the whys or the wherefores to you, but when The Who decided to remix Quadrophenia completely in the 90s, some people treated this almost as if the Who had killed their firstborn. Like I mentioned, quadrophenia means an awful lot to millions of people. So when they changed it, though I didn't think it was the most drastic thing, I mean it was in some cases, this remix really cheesed some people off. And it's true that it was unmistakable that at some times, parts were just flat out missing. So that's a little bit of the original mix of the song The Dirty Jobs, but here's what it sounds like on the remix, that exact same portion. You men should remember how you used to fight. Just like a child, I've been seeing only dreams. So right after 
after the line, you men should remember how we used to fight, in the original mix, there was this sort of noise that was kind of like a seal, that er, er, er noise, and it's completely gone on the remix. Now, one of the reasons that the remix was so drastic is because this is probably closer to what The Who were going for initially, but let's remember, Quadrophenia was their first crack at doing their album in their own studio, and the whole thing was falling apart, and they ended up like submixing a bunch of effects, and, and let's be fair, a lot of those effects could never be removed, and they did kind of bury Roger's voice here and there, and that's just not fair because Quadrophenia really is like Mount Everest for vocalists. However, I'm of the opinion that if you can be okay with John Entwistle completely remixing a bunch of the songs from Quadrophenia for the Quadrophenia film soundtrack, then you kinda gotta be okay with the other members of the band getting a crack at how they think that Quadrophenia should have sound. Of course, these decisions were made by John Astley and Andy McPherson. I don't know the level of involvement that the other band members had, so I'm just going to have to say there are options for Quadrophenia, and it's up to you as to which one is right for you. However, the Super Deluxe Edition, you knew I was going to say this, the Super Deluxe Edition comes with all of Pete's home demos for Quadrophenia, which I believe are as important as as the original Quadrophenia. Let me underline that. I know that I am kind of in a minority here. I know that this is not a popular opinion. Doesn't mean I don't hold it. Pete's home version of Quadrophenia is every bit the equal of the original quad. The trouble is that to get it, you've got to buy a five-disc box set. And there's a really frustrating disc on that box set where you're like, oh, cool, it's in 5.1, let's play it. But you only get like eight songs and one of them is just the intro, I Am The Sea. So yeah, not a whole lot going on there. You had to buy a totally different version to get the Blu-ray 5.1 remix. And I gotta be honest with you, I didn't have the best time with that 5.1 remix. So that being said, Super Deluxe Edition that came out around 2011 with Pete's demos, oh my God. That is a home recording from 1972 or 1973. Are you freaking kidding me? People aren't making home recordings that sound that good and powerful now. One release that stays controversial across the board, I haven't really seen anybody completely be in the favor of this one. Around 1998, when they put Odds and Sods into that whole remastered, remixed campaign, well, you got all the original songs. You got the 11 songs that were on the original edition, but they put it completely out of order, and this was kind of cool. They literally doubled the running time with even more outtakes. The problem was that a lot of the tapes were, one, the wrong takes, or two, just played at the wrong speed altogether. I mean, you just can't mistake it. That said, there is a lot of cool stuff to love there. The studio version of Summertime Blues, a studio version of Eddie Cochran's My Way. Many, but absolutely not all of these issues were fixed by, you guessed it, the HD Tracks version. But I have seen a lot of people speak very highly of the Japanese issue that came out 
in 2011. It's what's known as the SHM version, the super high quality material. What they did was they actually put the original 11 songs in their original running order and then actually treated the bonus tracks as bonus tracks, where instead, the 1998 CD version attempted to just put it in chronological order, but when you had to get through so many tapes that were clearly being played incorrectly, it was just a bit of a slog, and I really hope that Odds and Sods one day is just going to be expanded into every last bit of Studio Vault material ever, but I know I'm dreaming here. But hey, what about the solo catalogs? Before we go further into the rest of the Who chronology and all the different versions, what about those? Did they release as many compilations? Well, yes and no. Roger Daltrey, he's got a number of compilations. One is called Best Bits. I don't think he thinks very highly of it. To my knowledge, he wasn't even asked, but it does have some really cool tracks like Martyrs and Mad Men and Treachery. There's a song also called You Put Something Better Inside Me. I don't own Best Bits, there's one called Best of Rockers and Ballads, there's one called Martyrs and Mad Men, but there's the one, if I have to tell you, hey, there's one that's just right for you, it's probably gonna be Moonlighting. Moonlighting is a two-disc anthology, and it covers a lot of the hottest tracks from each one of Roger's solo albums, at least up to Rocks in the Head, except, weirdly, it doesn't have Days of Light, which was the hit from that record. But why this thing would be kind of a one-stop shop, now this is assuming you can find it because as of this taping, the thing is wildly out of print. All those soundtrack appearances, well, many of them at least, things like Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me or Roger's Take on Mac the Knife or Quicksilver Lightning or Hey, Do You Want to Hear Him Cover Born to Run, etc. Those things are all on Moonlighting, so it really is kind of a one-stop shop. Like with any compilation, there's still going to be cool stuff that's missing and whatnot, but it does have the most bang for your buck all in one place, admittedly. As far as John Entwistle's stuff goes, almost all of it is out of print. I mean, at least as of this taping, and I don't know what the plans are, I don't know what the hang-ups are. There were some CD reissues of John's records that all came with bonus tracks just after his passing. I hadn't heard great things about the mastering, but what I can tell you is that if you happen to run into a two-disc compilation called So Who's the Bass Player, that's kind of where you can get a good portion of John's overview, right? It doesn't have everything, and personally, if I'm picking a compilation, I really liked the Thunderfingers compilation. That's not to say it's the best, just that that was the first time that I'd really heard John's solo records. That's what made me a convert to hearing those tunes and wanting to hear more. That's the one that I think is a real good, like, bite-sized nugget into, hey, do you dig John? By the end of this disc, you'll know. But if you really want to jump in there, dive around, swim around, backstroke, so who's the bass player? That's the one that you need, because that one pretty much covers everything right up until the music from Vampire's stuff. Pete's solo catalog, a little bit more complex than that. A label named Hippo reissued almost all of his solo records with really cool bonus tracks. Unfortunately, the mastering on those, I can absolutely guarantee and verify for you. That sucker, no matter which one it is, it's brick-walled within an inch of its life, and it's a real shame, too, because some of those bonus tracks... 
they're the very definition of essential. There were also some really interesting live releases that Pete released from his now defunct EOPi website. These were the signature series. They would be recordings of live gigs from, say, the Fillmore in 1996, or remember one of those Deep End shows, the Brixton Academy show that initially just came out as Deep End Live, just a 10-song disc? Well, you get the whole show on the Signature Series version of Brixton Academy 85. Unfortunately, it sounds as if someone completely forgot to mix in the bass at all. I'm serious, like you spend a little bit of time with this, it can make you almost feel physically ill. It's a real shame because it's a totally cracking gig and a historically important one too. Thankfully, to my knowledge, the rest of the gigs offered up in the Signature Series were not as afflicted. But as far as Pete compilations go, you've got one called Cool Walkin' Smooth Talkin' Straight Smokin' Fire Stokin', which I think has the most succinct and direct track list. I think that pretty much tells you all you need to know about if you're gonna dig Pete. Plus, you get a really nice remix of almost completely redone version of Let My Love Open The Door. Let my love open the door. Let my love open the door. Let my love open the door to your heart. There's a much more thorough compilation called Gold, but unfortunately it came from that same period of time where they were just smashing the dynamics for those hippo releases. And there's recently Truancy, which we talked about. Truancy is really cool because it's got the first new solo Pete recordings in years in the songs Guantanamo and How Can I Help You, Sir? But really, as far as compilations go, I think that Cool Walk and Smooth Talk and etc. is probably a good one-stop shop if you just want a bite-sized helping of Pete's solo stuff to go. Plus, it's got the song called Uneasy Street, and you heard me talk about that during Psycho Derelict, so you know I'm just gonna side with that compilation, right? But getting back to the Who's catalog and all those wacky remixes that they did in the 90s, the Who by Numbers, the 1975 classic, well, you pretty much only have one choice for that, and that's the mid-90s reissue. That's it. This one, I don't really find anything too egregious about the remix. As a matter of fact, it really does open up stuff in the clarity department. I mean, there are some drawbacks, like for example, the song In a Hand or Face has double-tracked vocals by Roger for no good reason on the remix. They're just not there. I don't get it. I don't understand why. But let me just tell you something that you may not know in case you uh, aren't a hardcore Broken Glass Who fan. Again, these initial issues for almost every album that I'm mentioning were always kind of murky. I mean, pretty much, always kind of murky. And the Who By Numbers is one that I first had on cassette. The track listing was in a totally different order. And somehow the Merc really worked for what became an even darker album on cassette because it would open with Slit Kid, but then the second track was Imagine a Man and they just like sandwiched all the depressing, the most depressing stuff, just bam, bam, bam. It beat you over the head. So hearing this clear version, this remix, I'm not arguing against it. It's a neat, 
viewpoint into a record that I actually came to know in a very, very different way initially. That 96 reissue does come with some bonus material, but it's really just three live songs from the Who By Numbers tour, and frankly, since they weren't playing a bunch of Who By Numbers by the end of that jaunt, there was really about two songs they could choose, and that was Squeezebox and Dreaming From The Waste. They threw on an extra live version of Behind Blue Eyes for good measure, but look, that, uh, that live rendition of Dreaming From The Waste is basically worth the price of admission all by itself. I you do kind of get the best of both worlds with the HD tracks version, though. Sure, it's not a physical rendition, but it does restore the original mix, and it gives you those three bonus tracks from Swansea, recorded in 1976. Unfortunately, we were teased a little bit that once there was going to be, supposedly, a deluxe edition of the Who By Numbers, and... If that's the case, and we were about to get the entirety of that Swansea show, let me just wave my arms C-3PO style to go over here! Yes, please. 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 We want it. We need it. The world is not okay without it. In case you're wondering, like, hey, Mark mentioned that there's a bunch of wacky Who compilations. Just how wacky do these get? Alright, look. I'm just gonna say that... There are, according to Discogs.com, at least 118 compilations for The Who. At least, okay? And that's not even accounting for different pressings. That's just the number of things considered compilations. One of my favorite ones is uh, from 1979. It came out in Germany. It's called Once Upon a Time, and it is the most batshit track list. It's like this weird mix of B-sides like Dr. Doctor and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But then for like no good reason, they pick Christmas from Tommy and Sally Simpson from Tommy and See My Way from A Quick One. But you do get big hits like My Generation and Summertime Blues and it... It's kind of like somebody's mixtape got pressed, and I just love that kind of stuff. But do you actually need it all? Well, that, that's really in the ear of the beholder, isn't it? Going forward, I am going to sound like a bit of a broken record when I say that, okay, for example, 1978's Who Are You album, you got the original mix that came out on the initial MCA CD. And if you buy it on vinyl right now, you get the original mix, but if you want to buy it on CD, to my knowledge, the only game in town in most territories is the remix from around 1996. Some people love it, some people really hate it. I think it drastically changes the makeup and feel of some songs, especially, say, Had Enough by John Entwistle. That song, incredibly different. But that's just to my ears, and it's just not the vibe I grew up with. And I kind of look at it like a bit of George Lucasing, if I'm being totally honest. The 1996 edition did come with some really cool bonus tracks. You got to hear The Who try to take on the title track to Pete Townsend's eventual Empty Glass album. You have slightly different mixes of guitar and pen and Love Is Coming Down. You get a version of Who Are You that had a whole different verse that was completely chopped off and a beautiful ballad from Pete named No Road Romance. Most of that stuff stayed in place when they restored the original mix for the HD tracks version, but I've also seen a little, a few complaints about 
the general sound quality of that HD tracks version. Personally, I didn't notice anything egregious about it, but sometimes my ears deceive me, so maybe I'll just have to trust them on it. Now, Face Dances and It's Hard, the controversial Who albums with Kenny Jones on drums instead of Keith Moon, Keith, of course, being unable to attend those sessions with a very good excuse, they were remixed a lot later than most of the other records here. Face Dances in particular, I wasn't thrilled that it was going to get remixed because I Maybe I'm in the minority on this one, but I really love the sound of the original Face Dances album. It's just the kind of thing that you can walk around in. It feels really expansive. But I can't fault that CD version that comes with those bonus tracks, songs that didn't make the original cut, like Somebody Saved Me. Well, we eventually heard that on All the Best Cowboys Have Chinese Eyes, but there is something kind of cool about hearing the Who do a formative version of it. Plus, there's a song like It's In You and I Like Nightmares. You get a peek into how they would work out songs like How Can You Do It Alone live and a really, really ripping live rendition of The Quiet One. Now, the remix of It's Hard made a little bit more sense to me, truthfully, because I know that nobody in the band was really, truly happy with that album, so I'm really glad that they got another crack at it. Unfortunately, what might seem like a minor change in some cases was actually quite the change. So, for example, Pete's first take vocal on Eminence Front, now it's been quote-unquote fixed. So here's what the original sounded like. Right, so that's the original mix. That's the way you remember hearing it on Miami Vice or whatever back in the day. Pete's panned all the way over to one side. He's kind of late on some lines. Now here's what it sounds like on that remixed edition, the exact same portion. Now, any record geek will tell you that sometimes the mistakes are what really make the personality of a record. So hearing this fixed, I don't know, it, now it sticks out to me, but it never did before. One really cool thing about any version of It's Hard that you pick up digitally right now, whether it's the original mix or the initial mix, is that you get four bonus tracks from the 1982 tour that show that if mixed properly, woo, this could be a live album to contend with. Like they could have put together the most badass thing for who's last, but we just got that thing when meanwhile, Instead, we could have gotten something like this. Like, there is just clearly a bitchin' live album waiting to be called from the 1982 performances, but I don't know. I, I sincerely doubt that that's going to happen, at least in Roger's lifetime. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that 
You know, the main reason I can't actually talk about every single Who release is because of the Encore series at themusic.com. That's right, nearly every show that The Who did between 2002 and 2007 was recorded and released at that website, at least on CD, if not also DVD. Now, the DVDs can often be just kind of what was shown on the big screen during the shows, and the CDs, maybe they're not exactly what you're expecting for live album sound quality, but they're mixed on the fly, they're doing the best they can, and frankly, you know, they beat the snot out of most bootlegs from that era, so I can't really complain. Collecting the Who is never going to be an easy task. And again, I, I would implore you to take a look at thewho.info to see just how deep this well can actually go. As far as I know, the person that runs that site is still collecting Who material, and there's no chance that they can stop anytime soon because cool stuff keeps just appearing with even more frequency. Like every time I think it's gonna slow down, nope, they just hit the gas a little bit more. We just got that Fillmore East show from 1968. We just got an official release of it. And Pete's first solo album, Who Came First? That just got reissued with not just bonus tracks, but like an album and a half's worth of extra stuff. And frankly, it's my hope that the Vault releases don't slow down, at least until we get that San Francisco show from 1971, but there's clearly so much still in the Vault. So much still to learn about a band who deservedly is in that trifecta of the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and the Who. I believe that the Who are one of the greatest rock bands of all time, if not the greatest. I hope you've had a good time on this journey with me, friends. My name's Mark with a C. It's been an absolute honor to do this season of discography with you. I know it was a long wait, but I really hope it was worth it. We are never doing another season quite this in-depth again. Uh, well, knock on wood, of course. But in all seriousness, thank you so much for listening. You cannot imagine the work that it took to put this season together all by my lonesome. Thank you to everybody who helped thank you for listening thank you for telling everybody about it and thanks to everybody who didn't give me crap for all my wacky opinions my name's mark with a c this has been discography i'll see you next time my friends consequence podcast network